Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John O'Leary is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I am so thrilled you're joining me in this Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. Yes, you will hear profound and unforgettable inspiring stories, but more importantly, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. These shows will inspire you to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you can do be, achieve, and impact even more through your life, or maybe a little bit more simply said, so that you can live inspired. Today, I am thrilled to have someone with us you may not have heard of, but after today, you will never forget. Kathy Buckley is a comedian, an author, a motivational speaker, a huge overcomer, and a new dear friend of mine. Kathy has been through more challenges and misadventures than most but exemplifies grace, forgiveness, courage, and perseverance beyond anyone that I have ever met anyone. Kathy will share with us about the challenges of growing up with an undiagnosed hearing loss. She's essentially deaf as a child and still today, of being inaccurately considered mentally handicapped by her teachers, of beating cancer, and many other unbelievable adversities. But amazingly, You'll be blown away by her ability to keep her joy, her humor, her determination, and her passion for life and others through it all. They automatically put me in a school for retardation. And I have to say, I mean, if I could put the whole world in that school for one week, (laughs) we'd have a better world because in that school, there were no judgments passed among us kids. We didn't focus on what we couldn't do. We focused on what we could do. Yes. And it wasn't the value of words in communication, but what our hearts were trying to express. Kathy is deaf, and as I said, her passion is life, and her passion is people. Her hearing loss allows her to focus on the physical behavior of the people she is with because she watches people speak, and their body often says something different than their words that they're speaking. This concept was shared unforgettably in her book, If You Could Hear What I See. My friends, I devoured this book. I absolutely loved it. It will help you appreciate who you are and forget about being defined by others. There is a link to this book in the show notes. Check it out. Do yourself a favor. Grab yourself a copy. My friends, you are going to love Kathy. You're going to love her story. It's going to be a wildly emotional ride with a lady who has the spirit to actually live through it and the heart to inspire us to do more with the lives that we have. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode as Kathy beautifully and vulnerably shares her story to empower each one of us to live inspired. Kathy, welcome to our show. Oh, thank you so much. This is such an honor. For the guests who may not know you, for my friends in the community who may not yet know what you're up to today, tell us generally what you do today. What I do today, my passion is people. It always been from day one. Um, being having a hearing loss has enabled me to focus on people's 
physical behavior and understanding them because I find out that I watch people speak, but their body says something else. Mm. So today, I love working with young people. I like teaching people about forgiveness, making better choices. I like teaching people to have a better appreciation for who they are Mm. as an individual and not who they think they're supposed to be. I like to um, teach people to count their blessings. So many people, like we, we can say, so many people complain about things that have no significant meaning whatsoever. Yes. So find that little thing and build it into something that's not necessary. So today I do my motivational speaking. I do my comedy. I'm writing my second book. Hmm. And I go swimming every day when I'm home in L.A. Well, and I got a comment. I, I knew a little of your story. And after reading a book called If You Could Hear What I See by Kathy Buckley, I Am a Better Man Because of It. Kathy, it's it's an extraordinary book, and you have an extraordinary life. Uh, you. You, what you've done today, I mean, you just said, hey, my passions, people, it's understanding them, not just their words, but what their body says, encouraging them to count their blessings, all of them. You are an incredible version, I think, of success today, and yet that's not really where this story begins. Uh, I think everybody's got a story, Kathy, and yours is no exception. It's just usually not the story we're telling the world. So I'd like to take you back to when your labels as a child were quite different than your labels today as an adult. Um, You grew up, like you said, hearing impaired. Tell me and our friends what that means. Well, you know, there's a thing now. You have deaf who signs no voice. Yes. You know, that can't lip read. Then you have people who have hearing devices that can learn to talk. And they also have, and they're called the little D. Like the big D is deaf signing and the little D is deaf speak. Mm-hmm. And I'm what you call deaf speak. Mm. And I, but they didn't know that when I was little. When I was little, they just assumed because I was an RA factor baby, they told the doctors that I was going to be a slow, the doctors told my parents, excuse me, that I was going to be a slow learner. And then when I had spinal meningitis, the same thing because they couldn't get blood transfusions to me quick enough. So the belief system was set in that I was going to be a slow learner. So because I wasn't speaking, they assume I was retarded, so they automatically put me in a school for retardation. And I have to say, I mean, if I could put the whole world in that school for one week, (laughs) we'd have a better world, because in that school, there were no judgments passed among us kids. We didn't focus on what we couldn't do. We focused on what we could do. And it wasn't the value of words in communication, but what our hearts were trying to express. Mm. It, it, before you're even in that school, Kathy, you are growing up a somewhat normal little girl, and yet somehow your family, your siblings, your teachers have no idea that you're hearing impaired. Ex- explain no, that to uh, me. No, it still goes on today, John. I mean, it's unfortunate. Nowadays, now they diagnose deaf kids as autism, not realizing they're deaf. I have an after-school program. I have three after-school programs for low-income families for deaf children. And you'd be surprised the number of these kids that come to us at five, six years old don't even know their name because people just assume there's nothing they can do with them. And all it is is a hearing loss. Some of what you shared in the book and what I've heard you share online, it, it, it just broke my heart, this idea of a little girl doing the best she can in second grade, trying to keep up in a regular school back then, reading lips because she can't hear, not knowing that that's not normal. 
And there's a, a part in your book where you're just doing what's very ordinary to a happy little child. You're humming. You're humming yeah. at your desk. <laughs> what? T- walk us through that story, Kathy. Okay, all right, but I just got to tell you right now, John. I still hum. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait till we're off the not, air. I don't want to. I don't want to bother the listeners. <laughs> no, what happened? Is, humming was a thing for me because the vibration would be in my chest, and the humming would calm me down when I feel inadequate or didn't feel like I was fitting in, and I was humming like just hmm, not humming a tune because yes. I wouldn't know a tune. But I was just, hmm, all the time. And then it got to the point where I was annoying the teacher. But see, I didn't know that my humming was making noise. Yes. I didn't know it was a sound thing. Yes. And so they actually, um, she got so upset with me because I would watch the other kids to try to figure out what was going on and try to copy them. And, And then the more she gave me that dirty look, like, stop humming, but I didn't know what it was she wanted me to stop. Yes. I would just hum even louder because I would get more nervous. And so finally she just point to the classroom door and said, take your chair, go outside. Yes. So she handed me my chair, went outside, and I sat in the middle of the snow yes. just crying with no coat on. Kathy, I, I, it's almost impossible for us to imagine being deaf, being hearing impaired, experiencing the world only through your eyes and trying as a little one to make sense out of it with no one around you to kind of guide you forward. Help us better understand what that, what that was like for you as a little one. Um, it was lost. It was empty. I couldn't understand love. I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I mean, even as I got to be a teenager and an adult, I was so far behind in so many things because I can't hear radio. I don't see the TV. And back then, they didn't have captioning on TV, so I couldn't relate to anything. I was very, very lonely, very isolated. It seems to me a turning point in the story comes when you join that school that you referenced earlier with special needs. And you meet a little boy named Kenny on a bus ride. Tell me about Kenny. Kenny, you know, back then I didn't know what the problem was. But Kenny was in a wheelchair. As an adult now, I now know he had cerebral palsy. And I would get on the bus. It was for all of us kids with disabilities. And in the back of the bus, they took all the seats out, and they put toys in there, like dollhouses and stuff like that. And I would go back there, and um, they would play. Well, when my first time on the bus, I get to go on the bus, and I see Kenny. I've never seen a wheelchair before. But I couldn't figure out. Why isn't he back there playing with the rest of the kids? Because, again, all I'm doing is seeing. And so it bothered me that I saw that the wheelchair was strapped to the bus, but he couldn't move, and he keeps his head down. So I went back there, and I went and got a ball, and I tried to pry his hands open Mm -hmm. to put the ball in his hand because I wanted him to be a part of all of us. Yes. And And it really got to the point where... I didn't understand why his hands wouldn't open up, but we would finally get a hold of something and it would just crush it with his hands. It was so tight. But what I did is I would give him something and then I would kiss him on the cheek. Mm. And I would kiss him on the cheek. And then one day I just kissed him on the cheek and he lifted his head so slowly. And he had this, oh my God, I see him as clear as day right now. (laughs) He had this beautiful half smile on his face. That he could give. Yes. And, 
so it got to the point that any time I got on the bus, the first thing I went was to the back of the bus to get him something, hmm. and then I would hand it to him. Yes. And then I'd wait. I would kiss him, and I'd wait for that half-cracked smile. Well, one day I came off the bus, and my mom was off the bus, and she started yelling and screaming at me and pointing to Kenny. Basically, I figured out she was yes. telling me, leave him alone. And I was very upset that the next day I ran and I sat right behind the bus driver because I didn't want Kenny to see my feet go by. Because mm. I thought if he saw my feet go by, then I'd have to be like everybody else and ignore him. Mm. And what, what year were you, Kathy? How old were you? I was seven. You were just seven years old trying to make sense out of this, uh, seeing yeah. life through a totally different lens than what every other parent and child has. And not only that, but you're not having the best guidance around you, as I understand it. You're, your mom and dad exact, weren't exactly shining examples of compassion and leadership back then. Well, you know what? They, they, were told, they would do what the doctors say. Back then, nobody questions anything. That's why I'm an advocate today for children with hearing loss and disabilities to make sure they get the accessibility and the education best possible for them as an individual. So I don't take any regrets for my past because I believe my past is the very thing that gave me the strength to have the passion to help those that can't help themselves. Did you feel close to your siblings and your mom and dad growing up? No. Give, give us an example. Give us a little context to that. I wasn't close to my, my, um, my mom and dad because I had no communication skills. I just followed whatever anybody did. I, was a, I basically was nothing more than a puppet or a chameleon that would copy my environment so that I could fit in. My mom, and my mom was not a communicator. She wasn't a connector. Yeah. My dad, he, was, he took me for all my hearing tests, and then when I finally had him, he took me to the teacher with the blue hair to teach me how to read. All I could think about is how did her hair get so blue <laughs> and that. But she would, we would just, so my dad was there to do those things. But unfortunately, it was my dad, not a friend of the family, that molested me. And- I definitely do want to come back to that in a moment, Kathy. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's a topic that I think is more prevalent than we like to give credit to. So we, I do want to come back there. But before that happens, you have a teacher who deeply inspires you. Probably uh. really the first teacher the, out of anyone, including your mom and dad, your siblings, who really believed in you. T- talk to us about your teacher. Miss Joan Daly, if you believe in angels on earth, she was definitely my first. She was amazing, and I can remember every detail of her face. She was the person that taught me how to talk. No, we haven't found a teacher to teach me how to shut up, (laughs) and I'm not going to at this stage of my life. (laughs) But Miss Joan Daly was amazing. She was a young teacher. I was in a class with one other student, Michael. Michael and I both had the same hearing loss, Mm -hmm. and she did something that no one's ever done before, and that is, She looked directly at me when she talked. Mm. She never turned her head. She always talked directly at me, and she shared personal stories about herself that I got to see who she was as a human being, not as a teacher, but as as a young woman, as somebody who she talked about. What she'd do is she'd share stories about herself, and then Michael and I would have to repeat to see how much of it we got correctly. And I have to say, I gave her a far better story than the one she gave me. 
because I misinterpreted half of it. <laughs> right. But she was amazing. She, she was the only person at that stage of my life that I knew what it meant to want to make somebody proud. You, and I wanted her to be proud of me. You are disconnected in so many ways from your family, from the world. This gal gives you hope, Miss Daly. And you occasionally, as you sprinkle, sprinkle and stumble your way through life, keep bumping into these little angels, if you will. One of them is named Lisa. My sister. One? I call her my sister. And uh, sister from another mother, that's for sure, because she, yeah. you could not have picked a more unlikely, back in the 60s, friend for, for you. And she becomes one of your dearest friends. Talk, talk a little bit about Lisa. Lisa and I both hit six foot tall in fifth grade. <laughs> mm-hmm. Lisa's black. I'm a little pale. We were looking for another black <laughs> person, so we looked like an Oreo going down the hallway. But Lisa was, she still is my sister to this day. She was my friend in school. She tried to help me in every way possible, but she didn't even understand my hearing loss. You yes. see, in sixth grade, they finally gave me hearing lo- uh, he- No, they finally gave me hearing aids, but they weren't made for my loss, and they were painful. And if you don't have language, you can't explain to a deaf child why they have to wear this big device yes. with this thing on your chest and everything. But in sixth grade, my mom found a boy who needed hearing aids, so she gave him mine because I was fighting it all the time. Mm. But I thought I was no longer being punished. I didn't understand it was something to help me to learn to hear and speak. And Lisa, in, um, back then in high school, I mean, we only, there was only like maybe 6% of my school would had black students in right. it. And most, I knew all of them. I mean, they were all my friends, and we both, both of us suffered from something we had no control over, the color of her skin and my deafness. I mean, I got in so much trouble with hanging out with her, and I didn't care. Yes. And my mom would always say, Kathy, you hanging around with those black kids again? And I'd be like, no, Mom, I'm hanging around with no black kids. And I didn't know why I kept getting in trouble. Because I sounded like Lisa when I came home. Yes. And um, so, yeah, that was another angel. You, I've had plenty. It seemed to me in reading your book, it, you learned how to eat well, party long, have a blast with Lisa and her family and uh, oh, the righteous yeah. parties they would throw. They, they always had these big parties in the basement. Yeah. And there was all dancing and stuff like that. I have to tell you, this little white girl can be a pretty <laughs> doggone good. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that, Kathy. How did all these people feel about an outsider joining their family? Well, you, you know what's so funny? One of my friends, Earl, who was in my high school with me, recently asked me to do a benefit for him. And so I did. And he introduced me, and this is the biggest compliment I've ever heard. He said, Kathy Buckley, when we were in school, when everybody was prejudiced, and they would, you know, I had a car back then, and they took it apart and whatever have you. But Kathy, in our community, there would be like four blocks of just black people living and four blocks of where the the Italians were living and whatever have you. You know, it was all broken up. Mm -hmm. And so he said, Kathy can walk into any of those blocks and be accepted because she never saw color, she never saw race, she never saw anything. All she saw was the human spirit of everyone she came across. And she was the only one that was welcome in our community. And, and Kathy, just so the folks understand your background, tell me your nationality and, and describe what you look like physically. I am six foot tall. I have dark hair, brown eyes. I am half Italian and half English. 
and I make a dog good pasta sauce. <laughs> right. uh, you also make a darn good comedian. What, what amazes me about you, Kathy, is not only your eyesight on how to see individuals for who they are and challenges for what we can turn them into, but your ability to find your voice. How in the world are you, and you plural, capable of learning to speak if you can't hear the sound of your own voice? Well, Miss Joan Daly taught me how to talk through a balloon. She gave me a balloon, and she would blow it up tight in that and place it right on her throat and chest. And then I put my hand on the balloon, and then I imitate it by feeling my own throat to copy the vibration. And that, so that's why I always wondered if she was from New York, because I talked just like her. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a beautiful accent. It's, it's uh, amazing what you've learned to do, and, and also now what you've learned to do with it. And as difficult as your upbringing was, it's, it's, it's not going to get easier. You, you mentioned this. You hinted toward it. But as a little girl, when dad's at work and mom's doing her thing, you, uh, you have a massive challenge that enters into your life. Yeah. It was, uh, it was hard. I mean, my dad was molesting me. And, uh, but um, it's also a blessing. As dumb as that may sound to a lot of people out there. But... I learned something that most people can't even grasp, and that is the true meaning of forgiveness. And I am blessed with that. My dad and I believe, I'm a firm believer in communicating. Yes. And I kept confronting him. It took about 10 years, several conversations, first denial, then he admitted, then we talk about it, and then we, I said, okay, now we can develop a relationship. My dad, last year, I was flying home every, every month for 10 days taking care of my dad because he was um, in a home with uh, dementia. But he always knew who I was. And I put my bed right next to his bed, mm. and I laid there and I held him in my arm until he took his last breath. I have no regrets. I have no anger. I have no negativity toward that experience other than the fact that I thank God for my heart, my love, and my understanding and patience to get to the point where I can see him as a child of God and not as the man who harmed me. And, and Kathy, it's <laughs> awe-inspiring. I'm, I'm curious. People cut us off on the highway when we're in, on our way to work, and it drives us crazy. We'll never forgive that Honda for cutting us off or your spouse says something kind of rude about your hair after you just got a new haircut. Little things can trigger great anger. And yet you have this experience as a child from the person that should love you more purely and beautifully than anyone else alive betrays that trust. How, how do you reconcile that the worst of the worst was somehow being able to forgive this, this monstrous act? It's not about forgiving the person. It's about forgiving the experience. It's about understanding why and how something can happen like that. I could have, for the rest of my life, I could have been a drug addict, I could have been an alcoholic, I could have been anything in a negative sense. But my, my God, I love my Father in Heaven so much that I believe He's my Creator and that He's the one who's telling me, I created you to have a good life. Why would you choose to allow this person to interfere with what I've given you. Mm. And so it's forgiving the experience. It's, 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 look, everybody says, you know, you either love God or you fear him. Well, the only fear I have in God is disappointing him. 
and I'm not going to disrespect all that he blessed me with to to give hand it over to somebody else who made a horrible mistake in their life as well, made bad choices, mm-hmm. was in a bad place, was drinking alcohol, didn't understand what they were doing, whatever the situation is. I don't have time to give in to stupidity. <laughs> uh you uh, have lived a wild life of highs and lows, and uh, you eventually work your way generally away from mom and dad. You find yourself catching some rays. You are paper white, so you're trying to get a little bit of sun on a beach, uh, yeah. and a, a Jeep has other thoughts. T- t- tell me a little bit more about that experience, Kathy. Um, by the time I graduated from high school, I mean, I was, I, was, I was in bad shape anyway because nobody taught me about having dreams or goals or anything. Nobody talked about college, you know, and I got a job in a warehouse, and it was my day off work, and I thought I'd go to the beach, get me some color, kind of match up with Lisa, which would never happen. <laughs> right. And I just was laying on the beach, sunbathing, and the lifeguard jeep ran me over, ran over my face, stomach, side and back. I was laid up for five years. I was in and out of a wheelchair for two and a half years. They said I'd never walk again. I figured I didn't hear them. I got up and I left. Hmm. You had an experience that struck me as being almost like an out-of-body. Yes. Ex- just kind I died of... at the scene of the Jeep accident. Yeah, tell and us more I... about that. I was so lost at that time in my life. I tried committing suicide like five different times. I was just an empty shell. And when I died... You know, it's not like you die and you go to heaven and you see God and say, wow, nice robe, lose the sandal, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. You know, it's not like a conversation like that. It's a knowing. Mm. It's just a knowing. And what that knowing is, is what you preach is love. It's simple as that. So when I, when I was, got run over and I saw, I felt all the pressure on my face and my stomach and stuff, and I opened up my eyes, I saw the bottom of the Jeep, I don't know where time goes, but I had enough time to think about putting my arm over my head to protect myself. All I kept thinking is I had to protect my head again. And when I did that, unfortunately, the rear wheels took me and turned me, my upper body going south and my lower body was still facing north. Yes. And so I saw the Jeep, and apparently somebody yelled for the lifeguard because it was a lifeguard Jeep. And somebody yelled, and she didn't know what they said, so she came back to finish the job oh, because she was trying to figure out what that person was saying. Mm-hmm. She didn't realize she ran me over. Mm. And, um, and when that happened, it was like all of a sudden, I just see like this little old man walking down the beach with this long robe, long beard, and he comes and sits on my stomach, and he says, Catherine, this isn't going to hurt. You're going to hear a loud pop. And I had no idea what was going on. And then he did. He took his hands and put them over my nose, and he popped it. And he says, everything's going to be all right. And as he walked away, I was surrounded by a blue I have yet to see in this earth. And then an incredible bright white cloud-like thing came toward me, and a hand came out of it. And I thought it was my cousin Mary Lou who had passed away because mm-hmm. she had the most beautiful hand. But then the hand started turning into, you can't even say it's a hand anymore. It just turned into love. Mm. And I remember, I distinctly remember, no, I'm not ready. It was like I was given a choice. 
No one has given me a choice in my first 20 years of my life. And I'm like, this is like a choice that I can come and go. And somehow or another, before you know it, I opened my eyes, and my arm was reaching up to the air, and the paramedics were trying to get it down as they slapped me into the board and ended up in the hospital. Were you, did I read somewhere that you were declared DOA, dead on arrival? Yes, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was declared, um, there was a young paramedic that was working in, um, I guess it was like his first day or his examining day or whatever, but um, I was talking, talking, talking the whole time, and then all of a sudden I shut up because I was nervous, yes. and the young man was to the left of me, and there's an older gentleman to the right of me that was holding my hand, and he kept squeezing that hand to let me know, you know, that I, yes. I know he's okay. I'm okay, excuse me. And the young paramedic couldn't get a pulse. He <laughs> put a mirror under my nose, he put a, his head on my chest, and he didn't hear anything, and so he put the sheet over my face. And he, I guess it was 345, dead on arrival. How I know that, I don't know. But 3.45 dead on arrival, and I'm just laying there going, wow, this sucks. <laughs> and I start blowing on the sheet. Yes. And then the guy, and I'm like, excuse me, can you get this off my face, please? And the young paramedic just blew himself up against the back of the wall, and he goes, right. oh, my God. Resurrected, man. I'm so sorry. Man. I'm so sorry. Kathy, what, All the way. what oh, do you say to the folks who, um, who struggle even imagining that, that uh, this type of experience could happen? That, that think you're hallucinating or just a, a, a foggy false memory. The, the guy in the road fixing your nose. By the way, your nose was not broken. The Jeep runs over your head, but your nose was not broken. So what do you say when people no, see but you? I kept saying, that was the funny thing. I kept telling them, fix my nose, fix yes. my nose, fix my nose, because I thought it was broken. That's why the man did it. And I asked people later on, well, who was on the beach? Who touched me? And they said, nobody touched me but the paramedic. And so... What I can tell people, yeah, even I have to ask myself, was yeah, that a hallucination? What was it? But I tell you one thing: the thing that was not a hallucination, and I'm telling you the God truth, and that is the love that I felt while I was out of that place. Mm. That love was the first time I ever knew what love was. Mm. And when I left, I got greedy and I took it back with me, mm. and I promised to share it. With anybody I see, anybody I meet, even in an elevator, in a store, whatever, I would shine that light for him. You, you've shared it with some unusual people, myself included, but you shared it with some older roommates. You're 20 years old. I'm imagining you're going to live with a, a couple <laughs> of cute 19-year-olds. Maybe maybe we'll mix in a 22-year-old here and there. But no, you, you go all in and you, uh, you room with a, the least likely of roommates. Tell us a little bit about those roommates. Oh, this is the best. It was an old, old house. It had 11 efficiency suite with just one room, you know. Yep. And, and, these, and my ladies ranged from 65 to 90, I think it was 92. Ma Hayward was the oldest one. And um, we had this big porch patio, and they would all sit in these wicker chairs, and they would tell stories. Mm. And I was fascinated because it was almost like being with Miss Joan Daly, listening to people sharing their life yes. with me. And um, some of the stuff that they came up with, my gosh, it's <laughs> no wonder I'm alive today. They would, there was a window down the street that had a red light in it, and I'm like, how can anybody read to that? <laughs> and then my head would, ah, that girl's selling her body. 
And I'm like, excuse me? And I'm like, why would anybody sell their body parts? I never knew anything about hookers. I never knew yes. anything about anything. But I learned so much about life with them. The sad thing for me in that house was, was nobody came to visit them. Yes. And that was wrong. And we would, we would Ma Haywood and Micah, who was just this teeny tiny little thing with natural curly hair, and she had thick glasses, and she crocheted 24 hours a day. And her and Ma would always battle with each other. They were always bad-mouthing each other. Mm-hmm. Not Micah, really, but Ma was. And they would compete every weekend. They'd make their pies. One was coconut cream pie, the other was banana cream pie. And they were, we all had to taste their pies and tell them which one was the best. Yes. And we all agreed that they would always be tied. Yes. And, that. and then um, one day Ma got cancer. And I vowed to take care of her, but I didn't know what to do. I was a young girl. I didn't understand what cancer was. All I knew is that I loved her, and I didn't want her to leave. Mm. And I would clean up after her and feed her and everything. And finally the family, who I never saw before, comes in and takes them, put her in the home. And then one day I decided to ask everybody, would you like me to take you guys to the home to see Ma Hayward? And they said yes. I powered them up in the car. And before you know it, Micah, who I just didn't think would want to go because they were always battling each other. She asked if she could come. And I'm like, oh, okay. Here, Micah and Ma have met the same boy when they were 16 years old. Ma was 92. Micah was 89, I think. Ma ended up marrying the boy. Mm. I think she was mad at him because maybe Joey wasn't such a great guy after (laughs) all. I don't know. But when we went to the home... Um, we all visited her. I didn't recognize her. She became very thin. She wasn't big anymore. Mm. She had face or hair, everything. And I whispered in her ear, and I said, Ma, I want you to know your pie was always the best. And then we went to leave, and I didn't, couldn't find Micah anywhere. And as little as Micah was, she lift, She was sitting at Ma's bed, and she lifted her up, and she held her to her chest. And I saw two 15, 16-year-old girls making peace <laughs> over a man after all these years. So I realized then nobody gets old, just our bodies. Yeah. Our spirits are young, and it's how you keep it intact. It's how you live. You, <laughs> you bring all these amazing, tragic, healing, and beautiful stories with you from home out to California which in and of itself is a a wild story. And then of all things, you slowly stumble your way into comedy. Can you you talk about how a broken-down, hearing-impaired challenge, you've been through everything (laughs) twice. I mean, really, the story is wild. My friends, if you don't know the entire story, you got to check out If You Could Hear What I See. It's, It's a phenomenal story. But now you're in California. Tell me about comedy. Comedy was, I ended up, um, because I, I, when I finally started walking and everything, but when I, I ended up going to vocational rehabilitation because I was living on welfare, and I was living on $100 a month. My rent was 80 Yes. I lived in my car for a few months, met a young girl. Um, I got to, um, to vocational rehab, which is when the government will help somebody with a disability to, land, to get a job, a training program. hmm and my dream was to be a nurse, but I knew I couldn't be a nurse because I don't read well and I don't comprehend well. And so 
I wanted to wear the white lab coat. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. So I went to vocational rehab, and I met this, my counselor, Colleen. I hated her. And I'll tell you why. She was reading my lips. You see, I never met another deaf person mm-hmm. other than Michael when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in my 30s, and I'm looking at this woman, and I'm going, why is she doing that? And she made me very uncomfortable. And then I saw her switch her head, and I saw hearing aids in her ears, yes. and it freaked me out. Yes. I, I thought it was the devil himself sitting in front of me. And she said, look, I can help you go to school for massage therapy if you go and get a physical and get your hearing tested. And I freaked out. I said, I'll do the physical, but nobody touches the ears because nobody ever explained to me about my ears. Yes. And that, so she said, well, I can't give you the money until you get your hearing test, too. And so I did. And I ended up with hearing aids, and I ended up realizing what's been missing because you, don't, you can't see sound, so you don't know what's not there. And yes. I always get a kick out of when people say, what can't you hear? And I'm like, how the heck would I know if I can't <laughs> hear it? And so I ended up being a massage therapist. My proudest moment was putting on that white lab coat on and going to the Social Security office and giving back their money. That's awesome. That was my proudest moment because now I get to live my life. And so I became a massage therapist, and I found laughter was my best medicine and healing. And three people, and I got this thing about three, came to me with this newspaper article called Stand Up Comet, Take a Stand, and it was to help raise money for children with cerebral palsy. I love kids. I wanted to help. They dared me to do it. and can't dare me because I do it if I, you know. Mm-hmm. So I did it, and... Um, I knew nothing about comedy, deaf humor, hearing humor, very different. Um, I couldn't lip read the comics on the, at the club because they had the microphone in front of their mouth. I rented videos of, no, that's how old I am. I rented videos of um, Robin Williams and Rupi Goldberg, yes. and they didn't have closed caption then. Robin had the fastest lips I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. And then Whoopi barely moved, and I must have sat there crying for hours going, why am I trying to do something yes. that's impossible for me? But I turned my focus over to the kids. And so what? If I can help raise money for the kids and make a fool out of myself, fine. And my aunt kept saying, don't do it, don't do it. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to embarrass yourself. And, you know, there's something about when somebody says not to do something I have to believe that the devil is trying to keep me from doing what the good Lord wants me to do. Yes. So I went on stage, and I won. And then my third time on stage was on national television. I worked in Texas for three weeks, and i got to tell you, you people have got the slowest moving lips I have ever read in my life. <laughs> Guy come up to me, he said, my name is B.M. Yeah. How the heck did you get five syllables out of four letters? <laughs> when I was born, I was born RH negative. And then a couple years later, I developed spina meningitis. That's just told my family, quote, that I would be a slow learner and that I would not grow to be any taller than 5'2". <laughs> and I was in a school for retardation for two years before they found out it was just a hearing loss. And they called me slow. <laughs> In that school, my best friend was a little Asian girl. She was blind. I have no concept of what blindness means because my eyes are my life. 
but every day we would have lunch together. She'd have these great barbecue beef sandwiches, and I'd have these boring peanut butter and jelly. So every day we would exchange lunch. Now what I didn't realize until I got older, she never saw me exchange those lunches. <laughs> And again, I never heard her complain about it either. So it happened so quick that even I didn't even know it. And the motivation of speaking came around. And, um, you know, there's an old saying, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Kathy, one thing about your book and your story that amazed me all the way through was you're, you're sharing the hearing loss and the challenges you face being molested as a little baby girl and cancer, having your head run over by a Jeep, all this stuff, and yet it's all done with great humor. It's it's not a dark book. It's actually very, very, very bright and positive. H- have you always been able to see the cup as being half full and seeing joy and comedy and everything? No, because I keep drinking what's in the cup. I'm always thirsty. Yes. No, no you know, not always. No, because I spend a lot of time trying to find Kathy. Yes. I spent a lot of time trying to find out who am I in my father's eyes. I found a lot of time trying to, I got tired of being who I thought I was supposed to be to keep everybody happy. Mm-hmm. But the person that wasn't happy was me. And now I'm happy because I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to share the gifts that have been given to me. I am honored and blessed. For everything I have. Yeah, there was a time that I was just so lost. But you know what? With every darkness, there is light. You right. just got to keep moving forward. You got to keep moving toward it. And sometimes you actually have to create it. And I, there's still a lot of things I want to challenge in my life, and I want to keep moving forward, and I'm, I'm learning. Every day is a great experience for me. And I appreciate stupid little things. Like, I love my little lizards in the backyard. Yes. I love the hummingbird. I love a flower. Every time a flower blooms in the backyard or the front yard, I always think God has given me a bouquet. You know? Yes. And so I just, everything's, I'm grateful. Well, we're grateful that you uh, have found your voice and the ability to hear the life around you. And I've also noticed that you have, because of your story, been able to connect with people in their own brokenness. Uh, And you've been able to connect with them and speak truth into their life in a very bold manner that no one else in their right mind would ever even try. (laughs) Example after after example of you just saying, tough love, baby, listen to this. Here it comes. You you have a quote near the end of the book. It's, It's called The Power of Words. The Power of Words. And then you go on to say, the life you give them is the life you live. Tell me what that means to you. I have so many people that come to me that want to share their stories. But sometimes they want to just share their stories because they want you to hear their pain. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear the pain. I want to hear the victory. I want to, I want to, so I'm, I'm the kind of person that will call you on your game in that moment. I will say it like it is to break your state. And if I find the humor in what you're saying, then you can't complain about it. Once you find the humor in something that's bothering you, it can't be a bother because right. now you saw the light side of it. Words are, are, are one weapon that can show love, that can show hate. Mm. Words, but it's also not what somebody says. 
It's also how you receive their words. You have to really listen to what the intention of the words are. And if you don't like the intention of what the words are that are being said, you need to call that person on it in that moment. You don't walk away and, and become a victim of those words. Because if you do, then that's what I call baggage, when people have all those baggage hanging behind them, you know. Yes. They hold on to what somebody said. Who, they're not living your life. They're not feeding you. They're not taking you to the bathroom. They're not taking care of you. No one has the right to put limitations on another human being. No one, because I truly believe everyone has something to contribute. And believe me when I tell you, John, I work with people with severe disabilities. Mm -hmm. I've been with kids that are turning to vegetables because of shots that they should not have gotten, and yet they still have something to contribute. No doubt. You know, so nobody is in this world with nothing to give. And it, from reading your book and just hearing your heart as it came so clearly through it, it seems you are just huge into labels and redefining them and reminding them that the ultimate label that we get to choose is the one we put on ourselves. And whether that's positive or negative has nothing to do with the diagnosis, the challenges, the scars, the brokenness from the past, but how we look in the mirror and what we do about it each day going forward. Exactly. Uh, it's all a choice. Everything is a choice in life, what you do with it, what you hear, what you see, what you feel, what you smell. It's all a choice. Kathy Buckley, I want to guide you from part of your life story into what we call here on Live Inspired, the Live Inspired 7. So it's seven rapid-fire questions that you're uh, wholly unprepared to answer, but I know you're going you're gonna to do a beautiful job. So tell me when you're prepared for the, uh, the questions. I'm ready. All right, buddy, here we go. Question number one, what, what's the best book that you've ever read? To be honest with you, yes. <laughs> You'll the get the payments. And I'm being honest, on fire. On fire, baby, write it down. On and fire. That's coming from Kathy Buckley. Tonight, a radical inspired life, on fire. Uh, well, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I have, oh gosh, it's been years since I've sat down and read a book in one sitting. I read yours in one long sitting, but savored it, loved it, underlined it, and I've already shared it with my wife. So if you could Aww. hear what I see by Kathy Buckley is a phenomenal book. So thank you for the, the compliment. Question number two. Tomorrow, Kathy, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with it? I would do a franchise for um, nonprofit for my uh Deaf and hard of hearing children, and I would do the, because I do theater all year long in the summertime yes. with the kids. Yes. I would probably open up places and give people a better understanding on communication. Mm. I don't need much. I, I already have my needs. I don't have much want. Mm. So money to me is, is to provide for others. Question number three. Uh, and this is something we O'Leary's have, have had to deal with twice, so it's personal for me, and I know it's going to resonate with you. But, Kathy, if your house caught fire or your apartment caught fire and all living things and all living people were already out, you had an opportunity to run in and grab just one item. What would you grab? Everybody's out of my house. Everybody and everything is out of your house. But what about the, the items? An item. I'm not attached to anything. <laughs> Probably, 
I don't know, my paperwork, my insurance for the house or something. <laughs> I'm Maybe. not attached to anything. Kathy Buckley is practical. She's gone in for the insurance papers to make the claim. I think that's a great pickup. <laughs> All right, Miss Buckley, question number four. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would it be? Jesus. What would you talk about? I would ask him, how could he have been so committed? How did he know? How did he have that faith? I, I, I want to know how this faith is a, is a powerful thing to bless yourself with. And, and I just had great admiration for him because he just, he was there for those that were less fortunate. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, the next question, what's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, my uncle, he gave it to me. He said, um, I never forget it. Uh, fear knocked upon my door. Faith answered it. No one was there. <laughs> I want you to say that again, Kathy, and then describe what it means to you, because I think that this is profound. It's also in your book, and I want to make sure the people listening, while they're driving or sitting on their back deck, hear it loud and clear, and also the meaning behind it. Fear knocked upon my door, which means... We create fear. We have anxiety over something that doesn't happen yet, or you create something before it happens, or you think something somebody said. But when faith answered it, there's no more fear. Right. So fear knocked upon my door, faith answered it, and there's no one there. Awesome. You have to trust and believe that all things are good, and all things, good things are there for you to receive. You uh, have now finally graduated into the more experienced stages of your life, which is a, a celebration. Looking back on your life, though, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? I'm sorry I didn't love you like I should have loved you. I should have loved, respected, and honored myself as a person to live life to its fullest. Um, I probably would have just put my arms around her and let her know that she was loved. Mm. And I got that the day I died. You know, Kathy, the whole reason I share my story, I do my writings, and we do this this podcast radio show is to inspire people to wake up from accidental living, to live inspired, and to be vulnerable. And And I've had many, many, many guests uh, and that share right there, vulnerably going back in time and not saying anything other than just holding on tight and loving is as profound and as important as anything I've ever heard. So I appreciate you sharing that. And my final question to you today, it's been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How do you want uh, your one sentence to read, Kathy? Say it one more time, please. Sure. It's been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence, how would you like your one sentence to read? Kathy has loved unconditionally for anybody who crosses her path. <laughs> My friends, you have been listening to an interview that I have been lucky enough to participate in with Kathy Buckley. And whether your challenge today is a diagnosis, uh, cloudy weather outside, a dog is barking behind you, the traffic is slow heading home, the paycheck's not what you want it to be, uh, your spouse smells and needs to take a shower, whatever's going on in your world, 
you, Miss Kathy, have a way of putting it all in perfect perspective and making us realize how fortunate and remarkably blessed we all are. Thank you. Uh, Kathy, th- this has been a delight. I'm grateful for your time. And, and just tell us, what what are you now looking forward to doing next in the journey? Well, the next thing I'm looking forward to is putting my long, skinny arms around you so that our hearts could meet and <laughs> say hello. I look forward to that, too. And uh, where can people, including me, learn more about you online? Where can we... Uh... Well, I have my website, which is kathybuckley.com, Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y, Buckley, B-U-C-K-L-E-Y.com. And I have my official um, Kathy Buckley Facebook page. Well, we'll be uh, looking forward to racing over there after this show. And Kathy, thank you for this time. My friends, thank you for joining us this time. And until next time, this is Live Inspired with John O'Leary. And this is your day. Be like Kathy Buckley and Live Inspired. Well, my friends, thanks for joining us on this podcast today, the Live Inspired podcast. It was such a gift to connect with Kathy. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. In the show notes, we have a link to Kathy's book. Now, do yourself a favor and order this baby. We have several links to Kathy sharing her story at comedy clubs around the country. Do yourself the favor and watch these. You're going to love them. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed it, please take a few seconds to rate the show and review the podcast. My friends, this is a quick way that helps get the word out. Although the show is just launching, it's already climbing the charts and touching lives. But you can help us touch and inspire and impact even more lives. So rate the show, leave your comments, tell your friends, and let's create a movement of individuals living inspired. You can do it now on the podcast app on your iPhone. Simply click on the review tabs. If you haven't yet subscribed, Hit the subscribe button while you're there so that you don't miss a guest, miss a conversation, or miss the insights on living an inspired life. If you are on other platforms or other devices, any other love you can offer in sharing this message, my message, this Live Inspired message, I'd certainly appreciate. Learn more about the Live Inspired movement at www.johnolearyinspires.com. One more time, that's www.johnolearyinspires.com. Each week you can listen in as I interview extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully lead and live your life story. I am honored you tuned in this week, my friends, and I cannot wait to see you again next week. So for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary. And this is your day. Live inspired.